Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode on Founders Tribe, a podcast production presented by thestartupchef.com. This is once again your host, Sven Milder, and like every week, I invite inspiring global movers and shakers to the show to casually chat about successful strategies they have deployed to found and build awesome businesses and live fulfilling lives. At The Startup Chef, we are on a mission to elevate and inspire 100,000 founders globally to help them shortcut their road to success by offering easy access to investment capital and world-class expertise. If you want to discover more or download one of our free resources that can help you propel your business forward, visit us at thestartupchef.com. Thestartupchef.com. With today, my good friend, Mr. Giacomo Ficciari, co-founder of LifePal, and perhaps even you know Giacomo as a professional water polo player playing in the Italian first division and junior national team. This guy tells you today everything what you can learn from being a professional athlete and adapt those strategies as well, being an amazing founder. For those of you, he left banking in London in 2012 to join Rocket Internet to build Lazada. He has been working in the internet industry in Southeast Asia, from Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, Singapore, Japan, and China. He participated in the Y Combinator program in the batch of 2018. And in 2019, he launched with a friend, livepal.co.id, one of the leading online marketplaces when it comes to insurances, where he helps customers in choosing the right insurance to fit their needs. Without further ado, be ready for a lot of joy and inspiration how you can find product market fit. Let's just jump straight into it. First of all, very welcome to the show, Founders Tribe, where we invite the, the game changers, movers and shakers. In this case, most of them still from Asia, though we have some guests uh, as well uh, lined up from Europe and even as well from the US. So the, the primary goal is 100% to, yeah, to inspire the founders around because, yeah, we are all doing the hustle, right? And even right now in COVID times. Uh, so I'm very happy that you are today in the show. You bring a significant box with experiences. Uh, so 100% that we're going to talk about it. But before really jumping into that, I really found out uh, today, actually, uh, something that I didn't know. I always wonder, like, why is this guy has such an Adonis body, right? He just, <laughs> because we have, because we have the same uh, like uh, the same height, right? right? <laughs> and then I said, like, okay, he's a professional polo player, so that's why. That's right. Well, former, but uh, yeah, after during high school, actually, as I you know, it was a passion when I mean, you do things well, and uh, it turned out you can be good at it. And yes, uh, I play professional and for the junior national team as well. Wow. So how, how did you land it up in doing that? You know, sometimes you do things that you get passionate and then you keep improving yourself and then uh, good things happen, right? Yeah. I think something was great. It's like I never had uh, too much pressure to be top, right? Just enjoy it and try to do your best. And then hopefully something comes. And then yeah. things, that, that's the magic that happens, right? When... Uh, you just follow the passion and then uh, you try to be as best as you can. Yeah. That's yeah. basically the story. So is that also the reason why all of the Italian guys worldwide ask any woman worldwide, mm. talk a little bit about the Italians. And they <laughs> yeah. say, okay, these are the macho guys with the six packs, etc. right? So is, yeah, water yeah. Po- is water polo more like a, 
a thing in in Italy mm -hmm. that gets you know that gets early on in your youth already incorporated? No, soccer is always the best one in Europe, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 Water polo is more a tough game. It's more I always say it's a masculine, like a rugby, a rugby type of game. Yeah. And uh, I know Australia and California is more like what you describe it, more like a surfer type. Uh, in Italy, it was more like a, a rugby, so hard training and uh, and more uh, uh, like comrade masculine approach. So you had to you had to, the option to decide, right? AC Milan or becoming a professional polo right. player. For the question. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So you're mentioning it's it's a it's a hard game, right? So how if you I mean currently you're you're running your startups, you have quite an impressive career already after you. You were the CEO of Groupon. Uh, you have one of the first employees of Lazada. Uh, you have been in the Y Combinator batch. The place where we met was that you were a venture partner at ATM Capital, uh, currently on a new journey as a CEO of Lifepol. I just like to know, right, because in, in life we're getting better and better. And especially when we are very young, we really see that, that larger image from ourselves where we want to be. But actually, it's just like the, the more we progress through, through life, the more we learn and the better we excel. So how did your water polo, right, and your professional career, which is not for pussies, so it really gets you going, right? So how, how does that still play a role in the way you have, you're running your businesses currently or the way you have developed your career? No, I think for me, sport was a key pillar and, uh, and mainly there is one value, is the motivation and the drive. And uh, there are lots of studies that say, like, where do we find a similar motivation of athletes in the world? And these are really few cases. Uh, that's why in US, lots of people like to hire people that have been uh, former athletes. Uh, I think you can find in other experience, not necessarily you need to be a, a, an athlete, a military or some personal journey that people go through that also help. But the motivation and the drive is something that uh, I have intrinsic, intrinsic inside. And also when I try to hire people or have co-founders, have a partner inside the company, we always look for this drive, this motivation. So what is driving you to join us, right? What is driving you? And that's where your recruiting process needs to really based on this motivation. Uh, because once you have the motivation, you as a leader can also use it later. So you know how to leverage the person. Absolutely. Uh, so I always try to see what motivates the person that we are hiring in our startups. Yeah. Uh, is this the money or is the glory, is the fame? or? Uh, and what I like to find is, uh, are you a person that is motivated by improving yourself? Uh, by learning, by getting better, whatever, maximizing your potential. And we try to hire those people that uh, want to maximize their potential. Uh, what's very interesting is um, um, uh, I was listening to um, Anthony Robbins, you know, I like to run in the morning and put the audio book on Anthony Robbins. And he was referring to Michael Jordan and why Michael Jordan has always been so mm -hmm. super aggressive uh, when it comes to being extremely determined in, in, in crushing his goals. And... He said, like, okay, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to compete with someone else. I want to compete with my best self, That's right? right? That's right. So it's, 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 it's an interesting thing. And it's funny that you're saying that you're taking these, uh, the whys, these purposes, all in, in your selection procedure for, for new hires, right? So can you walk me a little bit through, like, okay, how your hiring process looks like? Are you taking advantages of uh, personality tests? Uh, because you know people are, can play a very, very interesting, uh, uh, have a very interesting appearance. 
but not everybody, if they want a job very badly, will say 100% how they are. So do you use something like personality tests to find out if the match is really great or how, how is your decision making in that sense? Yeah, there's a lot of approaches. I try not to make it overcomplicated. Otherwise, it gets like a complex consulting metrics uh, with points and then, you know, yeah. uh, we try to keep it as real as possible, as friendly as human, because you, you're working with the person, right? Mm. Uh, what we try to do in general, we try to find the red flags. So if uh, after a few interviews, we find that the person has some threat, some red flag that we think are not going to fit in, this, in the startup, mm. uh, and then we highlight that. Uh, usually, the fit that we are trying is... Um, is the person having a startup fit? Mm -hmm. Is he fitting um, with uh, with the well? If he's a foreigner, if if he's not from here, like is he fitting with emerging markets? There's something we realize people being successful in California doesn't mean Silicon Valley they're gonna be successful in, in Vietnam, right? No, no, or Indonesia. And um, and then lastly, like the motivation, what is really driving the person? Like uh, we need to understand that because you need to understand how to then make the person over time, like uh, grow and, and um, how can you deliver the person? Is it just money? Yeah, many people are just money. Uh, and that's, I mean, sales people usually is money, but we look in something more, right? And then the personal development is one and uh, helping others, like how tech can help others should be also another one. Uh, so we're trying to do red flags and the motivation part. And then uh, we always have a bar razor. But is like what is used by Amazon that is a person that is from a different department that does not have the time pressure to fill the position quickly and they can fall in that mistake in the time pressure. Mm -hmm. So something from a different department, senior, so should be a co-founder or a person like you. you is, to be a bar raiser, you need to be someone you trust. Yeah. Can the person objectively really check without the time pressure? Because often we hire... Uh, if you like your manager, you are running behind target and uh, the pressure is high and you have one key person to hire, you will hire first decent one that you find, but you're not necessarily hiring the right one for the role. Yeah. So when you started off LifeFile, how, how many people have you, were you required to hire in high speed? Yeah. So Rocket Internet always uh, forced you to hire quickly, right? So yeah. when I joined Malaysia, uh, the first uh, point from uh, from Oliver somewhere, the management of Rocket was you need to hire 300 people in one month. Right? And, uh, but then when you go to Y Combinator, you actually have the opposite. They really say, don't throw people to problems. Exactly. Yeah. Technology, right? Try to automate, try to, to understand how can we grow without hiring. And um, I think depends on the stage of the company in reality. If you're pre-product market fit, you definitely should not hire. No, <laughs> don't hire. Like, understand what you're doing, right? Because uh, if you don't know what you're doing with two people, you can uh, or three, three people, you can actually move quite quickly. If you have 300 and you still don't know what you're doing, it's quite hard to really manage all the mess that you're created. So, really stay as lean as possible before product market fit. When you are on the next stage, and uh, I mean, product market fit is never 100% clear. Sometimes it's, it takes some time, but when you feel you really understood what customer want, uh, then it's point to raise the money, to inject and start hiring. Um, but I see many startups that raise the money because the founder is a great leader. They can really tell the story. Um, but then there's no product market fit and investors haven't really checked that. And then you start hiring and then you start, you're burning millions of dollars in something that and back you say, oh shit, we, we over hire, we spend in the wrong things. So really get the clarity of where you need to hire. When you have the clarity and you have product market fit, then yeah, you should. 
Interesting, interesting point. So I was talking with um, Jacob about this. Yeah. So what was what is really funny, and I see it almost going back to uh, the water polo, right? I mean, it's eventually a startup is really like a team effort, and where we're all working together and putting the right people in the right place. Mm. But currently, we are, what is very interesting is that due to all of the COVID. Uh, developments that are happening around us, where we previously were very limited to hire only in our almost city, right? Or strictly in geography. And because remote working is uh, the, yeah, the new norm in this sense, I mean, it allows us as well to hire excellent talent for sometimes competitive pricing from other, other areas, as long as the time zones are very matching, right? So I'm very curious uh, and I'm asking this as a returning question. So how, how does your current remote strategy looks like? And because we're talking about hiring, do you hire people that are not from Indonesia? Or do you planning to hire people that are not from Indonesia? Because now you have this, you know, in this pond and you can fish whatever you want, uh, rather than competing with all of the other big uh, bank startups in, uh, in Indonesia. So I think remote work is quite dangerous from my opinion, because you don't really feel the pulse, the temperature of your team motivation. Mm. And you don't understand if are they aligned on the vision and they align on the even the to-dos that they have to do. Mm. So I know it sounds great that people, the team can be global, can be allocated multi-location. Some company can do easily, especially if you are software, lots of engineer or digital marketing, that could be easier. Uh, but you never need to lose the pulse and the of the motivation of your team and alignment. And I think 100% remote for us, for me as well, from my way of managing is gonna be really hard. Uh, it should be at least twice a week in the office. It can be a Monday or Friday, uh, but really you wanna meet, have this emotional contact, right? Transfer the energy, the motivation, see how the person is doing. I mean, we are, we are, we are humans, we, are, we like to interact with people and that's will never go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think full, uh, half remote, what could work well for us and that's what we are doing a uh, full remote uh, i see more downside than, than benefits so how, how have you been dealing in the last months uh because you were forced to to think differently about the company and forced to to bring certain playbooks uh into play right and people could not really go to the office especially in jakarta where there's a more like a partly lockdown so what were your strategies that have been working very well that you can share a little bit more to our audience about like okay if you want to do this this worked well for me go get it right so the first one we are not fully remote so we do twice a week each team come twice a week and i mm-hmm. think that's uh it worked well three will be ideal but two is also okay so i will suggest to do that a second, we need to keep your conversation always open. The, our tech team has a, a software I can share, like it's kind of like a Zoom 24 hour, and they, all the team is uh, all live on the desktop, and then they, uh, so they are always connected. Over if it was in the same room, um, what work well is the leaders need to be really careful on uh, communications, or what are the targets, what are the strategy, mm-hmm. and um, so we are start having more one on ones, more casual also, more formal. Uh, business review more professionally done and that's I think that's enough um, I'm less concerned about the business performance about the number the clarity on the, the targets I'm more of are your team engaged are they losing motivation are they, mm-hmm. they don't agree on the strategy they need to execute on mm-hmm. uh, don't feel that because you don't meet them and it's, it's so so currently you're saying like okay it's my, it's more like two times per week 
uh, will be a great moment to just have that physical uh, physical check-in. How do you see the world of office spacing changing, right? I mean, it's very funny. I, I was talking with another guest and uh, they are in the business from co-working. And then one of the clients came to them like, okay, you know, how big is your team? 70. How many co-working spaces do you want? Places to sit? Uh, only three seats, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very, it's very interesting. So uh, assuming that you currently still have the office, do you see that the function of your office with two times per week gets more like a, a bonding experience with some separate rooms or how will that look like, right? Yeah, I, I, the office will get smaller and uh, will be more for town halls. Maybe we can, can use, uh, I mean, now we cannot really go to restaurants, but you can use those more uh, offline also occasion to socialize. Yeah, we just get smaller. People will live maybe outside the city with bigger houses. Mm. Uh, and they use public transportation like twice a week. So even if it's an hour, an hour and a half each time, but for twice a week is, is fine. Uh, I feel this. I think I feel this will apply for many countries, U.S. especially, and uh, I mean Japan. They're already used to right living really outside the city with great transportation, and uh, and probably you can live even further. So probably yeah. cost of the downtown will get lower, will get cheaper, and people will move out and uh, come twice a week. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit more because uh, you have been active indeed in Japan. You have been active in Malaysia. You have been active in uh, in Jakarta. Your wife is from China. I mean, you're you're an Asian guru in that sense. So so what are what are the main takeaways for you from working in all of these different countries, and why did you choose Jakarta as your home base? I didn't want to collect all those countries, by the way. It just I follow the opportunities and then and the, what happened. Simply as an entrepreneur, you look like the first question when you launch a business is, uh, is, is the master one, is the key one, is how big is the market? Mm. And that's defined the entire decision-making process you do when you choose a business. And uh, of course, this Indonesia is the biggest market by size uh, for many reasons, but also by percentage growth. Uh, so it was really directed to that. Uh, secondly, I work here personally and I like it. I had lots of friends and I like the culture, I like the people. So that was also a plus. Uh, but mainly was driven is uh, where is the biggest market and what is yeah. the fastest growth. Uh, that was as simple as that. I think there's no city in the world that has has it actually all right. It has the it has the richness. It has the super friendliness. It has decadence. It has poverty. It is it has a rough edge here and there. Uh, combine it with super friendly people right uh, everybody is always ready to give you a helping hand and taking into account that it's one of the largest economies on on on, on in in southeast asia or the largest economy at least in terms of citizens yeah it's it's a, a great way ahead so when when you started life poll right i mean you knew that there were already some competition in the place uh where i mean we have to check ideas of this world right i mean uh, what made you decide eventually with your co-founders, like, okay, though there's the competition, uh, we're still going to pursue this opportunity. And, and, and what was the, the real thing for you that you can think like, okay, I'm going to take this battle on? It was mainly like talking to customer and the market, those two things. So we realized that the market is big and is uh, big for lots of players. And uh, the problem was really clear from the consumer side. And um, we didn't probably overthink too much on competition because in general, like no startups die because competition. Mm -hmm. Startups die because they finished the money, uh, found the dispute, they didn't find product market fit. 
So we were not too concerned about competition. Um, and we realized the market is big. The problem is really something we, we were passionate. We are passionate and in this market was big. So that was the first thought. In terms of competition, we thought the, the other players, like you mentioned one, uh, Chekaja, yeah, they were doing things a little bit different with a different focus. And we thought that was not how things should be done. So mm -hmm. we had a different view of how the solution should be. And then we were convinced of our approach and that's, it's nothing like stop us to then do it. Mm. You know, you will always have competition, right? And, uh, yeah. and to be honest, if you tell a, a person from China about competition and you talk about, you show him Indonesia, there will not be competition for that person. Right? No, no, no. They have two, 300 players competing. Uh, uh, probably we have one or two or three. That's, that's not competition. Right? Yeah. So, but, I, but still, when you, when you entered the market, right, were, are you saying typically that your, your customer discoveries has provided you significant insights that you that you find found the back door or, or what what was your your and I think this is more like a broader question which can be very inspiring for for a larger audience what was your playbook actually in steps in the first 12 months when you launched this I mean you knew that there were competition uh, there's still a larger market I mean 270 million people what was your playbook in the first 12 months to still get that massive traction going so to be honest the first year we didn't the first year is i mean when we got together in a room with three four people and uh, and then we started like uh, we didn't hire much for a for a quarter we launched after three months so the first like nine months i think we didn't scale much like uh, this startup that is growing it was not about us that's why we didn't do any press we were just heads down working and mm -hmm. we were focusing on the customer and uh, we didn't spend much we had a uh, lots of money or relatively, relatively decent money, and but we didn't spend them as much. We were keeping the money on the bank and we were getting some interest. And uh, there was a better utilization to start spending uh, paid marketing over, over hiring. We needed to understand the customer. So we really focus on product market fit. I feel we are much closer today, but it's really ambitious to say we got full product market fit because it's always improving, iterating there. The cycle is really simple. You need to talk to as much as customer that you can talk to. And then you need to iterate, find really what are the pain points, what the customer want, not what the founder wants. <laughs> then you need to go yeah. back to your yeah. tech team and product team and really iterate and, uh, and readjust the code, cheap code. So it's really a cycle of talking to customer and this iterating, maybe verify with data as well. Because sometimes customer, when you talk to them, they also don't know 100%. Mm. Uh, check the data, go to tech, cheap code, and iterate over and over. Mm. It's really stressful because you are expected to grow from day one, right? Oh, now you're, you're a startup, so fly like a unicorn and I see you when you do IPO, right? But in mm -hmm. reality, it's definitely not like this. It's mm -hmm. more, once you're starting, you really need to spend time with your customer with be humble and assume that you know zero and uh, you bid based on the customer feedback. And I see many startups in Southeast Asia not doing that. And that's uh, really penalize them in Series B when they actually they cannot raise uh, the dream, the valuation that they wish and the, yeah. the money that they need uh, because they haven't really done the hard things at first. They really, really focus on product market fit. They raise money, they pump paid marketing, and then uh, customers don't really want what you're selling. Mm. So, 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 so what, what, what could be, what, what are your go-to strategy to, to do your, your, your customer discovery surveys, chats, right? I mean, what what are the things that have always been working very well for you to really discover what it is that the customer wants? Yeah. So how do we 
structure the process to achieve product market fit. I think why for other founders listening or people that are thinking to launch the superhuman approach, the, the startup superhuman, they approach to product market fit. There are lots of video online. Um, I think it's really solid. And uh, no, it's really solid. I think everyone should look at that. Uh, superhuman. Yeah. Y Combinator has a lots of uh, narrative about that as well. And that's what the program is all about. Yeah, so when you talk to customer, you really need to ask the question, like, what's your pain point? And you need to collect those data points. And then from there, you start your journey of uh, drilling down what seems relevant and uh, backing it with the data. Customer only. Sometimes customers tell you one specific thing that must maybe not relevant, it's just their own passion. So you need to really be mature enough to judge. And a part of this maturity comes from data. So you need to back up from data. There are tools like Full Story to let you see what customer really click on your uh, customer by customer. What, what, what was the name of the tool? Full, full story. Oh, full story. Yeah. Oh, there are other similar, but that's what uh, that's a good one. Um, and really, back in Google Analytics uh, or a few others are really good to check the data. So talk to customer, back back it up with the data, and then when you find what you need to explore, you can uh, ship code, a small MVP. You get the data and the feedback again, and you keep uh, improving and improving. Unfortunately, you cannot say it's a six-month process. Some company takes two, three years. Uh, some company maybe have a more straightforward uh, and it's short. Rocket Internet doesn't do that. It's skipped, right? They say, mm-hmm. product market fit, I just copy what someone else who already got product market fit. So <laughs> I, the, the hard work, I really skip it. The real hard work, I skip it. And I go for something that is certain to be working. And I just go to the scaling stage, the, the, the second stage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, e-commerce in Indonesia, I mean, that was a no-brainer, right? For sure, there was the product market fit didn't need investigation. Mm-hmm. That was pretty clear. When you offer lots of selection at really affordable prices, then people do buy it uh, because they buy offline already. Um, when you do something more SaaS-based, uh, maybe something more specific, something like Superhuman, it was something really specific. How do you innovate? Do you change the entire email experience? Mm-hmm. Uh, you really need to talk to customer a lot. So um, it's really about talking to customer, back up the data, and then adjust your code quickly. Uh, so you need a product team that can ship maybe on a weekly sprint rather than uh, monthly or quarterly. And that's what something that you that was something that you do in the first six months when you're more like in steel mode, where you just were referring to? Yeah, that, that's right. I, I, I don't call this the steel mode. I call them your life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And your customer. And, uh, but you know, startup, there is like a case of a premature death of startups. When um, startup raised the funding, uh, funding, maybe because the founder had connection, had a leadership, had a track record, but then you don't understand your product market fit and you're, uh, for, you force yourself to grow and to burn the money, but you're burning then something that doesn't work. Yeah. And so you're That's, just not going to go anywhere. It's very interesting that you're saying because eventually it all comes back again to some, some human psychology is that we want to jump straight in doing and fixing the problem rather than taking a few steps back and really observing what's going on, right? I mean, spending the money building teams is, uh, is, is relatively easy, right? I mean, uh, what's very annoying if nobody really starts converting on your website? And I think just to have a small chat about that as well, if the startup really considers like, okay, I'm going to double down on my customer discovery, I think that's one of the best investments every founder can make for the simple reason also that your customer acquisition costs will 
get significant lower later on because you know exactly what they want to hear, they resonate, everything what you put out there online or your ads, it resonates more. Well, otherwise you just yeah, need to start, start figuring it out, right? And like you say, um, raising a V round uh, and then still not having figured it out, yeah, that's, that's of course a big problem, which eventually can become uh, uh, very deadly. But and I think there is not much education on that in Southeast Asia. It's more maybe Silicon Valley. Uh, also, Southeast Asia is a, is a fresher market, it's a newer market like for mm. investors and founders. And uh, we try to kind of replicate the rocket internet or Chinese model. Well, the Chinese do both at the same time, I think. But uh, yeah, we, we never need to, for, like investors also should really have the patient to understand in which stage they're investing. And mm. if it's early, then they should really let the founder focus on product market fit because th there's a lot of cases of startup dying for premature growth where you mm. don't know what you're selling and it's, it's completely wrong product. And you pump paid marketing money. Like growing by paid marketing, not necessarily is a product market fit, it's a sign yeah. of product market fit. Yeah, and especially also if you're more like in a in a local market, right? I mean, because I, I dare to say that sometimes you can use paid marketing when you have a global product, there's always a customer out there. And especially if you use Facebook in the right way, there's always someone who wants to pay for it. But if you're more like locally orientated, like you guys in Jakarta, and you have this competition already around you, yeah, then you want to be sure that you're doing things uh, in that sense, the smart way. So wh what do you think is the significant amount of clients or customers that you should have insights from to make your decisions? I mean, what, what is, the, what is the, the critical mass here? I don't think there is a critical mass. I think that there is a sentence from YC that say, it's better to have fewer customers that really, really love you than a lot of the sort of like you. Hmm. So it's better you test and every founder tests on a smaller scale, but really ensure that these two, 300 or 2000 customer really love our product. They're really crazy. They're referral. They use it every day. They are sticky. So I will really look at those metrics. Like that, of course, it should be more than a hundred customers, but and probably you're not gonna get to one million or yet. But in that range, like are people are the metrics showing us that customers are sticky? Hmm. Uh, for some people it can be DAU, MAU, uh, there are several metrics to look at it, but are there really people liking our product? What is the maybe survey after the day purchase and the, what is the behavior before the purchase. And uh, so that's really important. So let's don't focus on getting a lot of customer. I think we should focus at the beginning to get the less customer that really love your product rather than many that kind of like you, but they're not really passionate about it. Mm. It's always think time for scale, right? It's always time for scale. It's never yeah. scale. Yeah. It's like you pump the money, you have a good team. Uh, okay, recruiting, there's lots of problems with scaling, but it's, it's feasible. Yeah. Finding product market fit is really the hard thing, the exception. Yeah. But so, so should, we, should we split product market fit then in, in two phases? Really like, okay, you have, of course, your, your, your discovery calls pre, of course, you have already launched, but pre-product and once it's out there, right? I mean, how do you see that? I mean, there's, there's actually two kinds, right? There's the one that you're looking for the client picking up the, uh, the potential functionalities and the pains and, and, and build your product around that. And then you have the moment like, okay, the product is already there and you're looking for, so what you're actually saying is like, okay, it's a constant funnel, right? So we're throwing a lot of people, uh, people on the top of the funnel, keep on the, doing the discoveries, the discoveries, and then you uh, constantly will inform your, your tech team to make these decisions. Yeah, we, we could do that. We can split into the part where the founding team 
start having survey, talking to customer, even without a product, and kind of like start designing and thinking what the solution is mm. the problem, based on the customer again, not on the founder. And then later they can go live with an MVP and then they can start iterating with the code, right? And uh, mm. that's why it's really important for a founder to really have uh, a technical co-founder because the guy can really ship code uh, overnight. You talk to customer at 6 p.m. with a customer, then they, your, your co-founder will start coding and maybe at 6 a.m. he's done and you can talk to the customer. <laughs> so taking into account that he has, has uh, not take any sleep and he just go yeah, full yeah. board. <laughs> yeah. But you know, when you're passionate, you're like, oh, let me like fix it so tomorrow we can test again to the next customer and we can see what really think about it. Yeah. And then you get some customer that become your friends. And uh, yeah. I think it was... Uh, Tokopedia, they said there was a hungry customer, then then uh, start becoming friends and providing feedback. And then the guy started joining the company because he be, the customer also became so passionate about it. Right? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it should be like this way. First, like really understand what you're doing and then uh, highlights, design on paper, what you guys want, go live. And I think it's really important. And we know that, right? Go live as soon as possible. There's a sense like if you go live and you're, you're proud of your product, then you launch too late, right? Mm, you, should go live, you feel ashamed because you know what a good product is, but you just want to go live to get the, here the customer feedback, the user mm. feedback. Um, and, for, and for you guys, it's of course, you're not like a daily consumption product, right? So how, yeah. how, how do you deal with that? Because if you are, for example, indeed like an Uber, I think reaching that product market fit seems a bit easier in some kind of way why? Because people are using you on a daily basis. And one of the things that you mentioned as well in, uh, in our other chat is that the reason that you jumped into insurances is that there's still a topic that has not been addressed properly by the market. It's a topic that is not 100% uh, on top of mind. So how do you deal then knowing that people don't know actually that they want it, right? Uh, and once they want it, it's a one-time transaction with you guys, and then they are covered until the shit hits the fan. If may I, may I summarize it like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, insurance is the worst product for product market fit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a push product. Yeah. Talk to people from the industry, specifically to insurance. They will say insurance is sold, is not bought. The missed customer don't wake up, and it's true. No one, no customer will come up in the morning and saying. Today, I feel like a new life insurance. Or mm. This new model of life insurance is really appealing to me. Maybe you think about uh, you know, how we're going to go to holiday, what you gonna, which restaurant you want to test with your friend, where to hang out for the weekend. But definitely, it's not insurance. So it's a push product. Second is not daily usage. It's complicated and it's pretty hell expensive, right? So we've, we actually hit against the wall of the product market fit in the insurance industry. Yeah. Uh, it's much harder than what we thought. Uh, we identify a few things that we think are relevant, but as often you don't get product market fit 100% in one shot, except mm. a few cases. You probably take some way you get to a degree of decent product market fit that you can operate, you keep improving on that. Uh, insurance is a tough one. <laughs> because, tough one. I mean, um, while you were saying this, and I'm sure we have all watched this this movie, The, the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Yeah. Uh, and then and then Leonardo DiCaprio sitting there and, and with his friends and he to sell the pen, right? Yeah. Uh, and everybody doing it in the wrong way. And then, and of course, the other guy's like, okay, hey, sell me the pen, man. Uh, and then he's like, okay, uh, can you write me down your name? Uh, and therefore, you need a pen. So how I see it almost in your case, mm. people don't know that they want to have an insurance mm. until 
uh, the, the shit hits the fan again, right? So, you have not lived in Thailand yet, uh, if I'm not mistaken, but what's very good about the Thai, if they have any kind of advertising, there is always so much drama and problems in the advertising. So then after watching that ad, you know, where, which is almost like a small little story of three minutes, uh, it's very logical to sell the insurance because people feel so bad about it and they need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, how do you do that in Indonesia? That's my question for you. Right? How do you make that shift from, uh, yeah, I know it's important to have an insurance to, uh, shit, fuck, I need one, right? And how, yeah. how, what is your strategy in this? You are yeah. needed in a difficult in a difficult play uh, playground. Respect. Yeah, insurance like about problem market fit is tougher than what I thought and tougher than other models. Uh, as you said, an Uber or a Go Go delivery or like a food delivery probably easier. But uh, I think every problem, every company faces challenge in problem market fit, and that's the main, one of the biggest challenges. Going back to us, we actually talk to users a lot, and we realized there were three problems. And the first one is um, the insurance agent has created a lot of mistrust and they're pretty hated. Uh, I personally like to call them the drug dealers. Yeah. They start with a high margin that is not good for your health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. My co <laughs> don't like this. Or is that you, 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 like, you want to attack the agents, uh, so let's not be so disruptive. Let's be more cooperative. Uh, probably they are right. But we realize that uh, no one trusts the agent. So there's a problem of trust of information, of content, of policy review that you can trust. So we try to address the point. Second was, we realized that when you meet an agent in Indonesia, the agent works for one company specifically, therefore can sell you only one brand. But is this brand really the best for you? Or maybe you should go to another brand. So for us was selection. How do we build the largest selection in the country of policy brands so you can really find what is right for you? Mm-hmm. And the third one was the convenience pre and post sales. We realize there's lots of paperwork, lots of money is a problem, and also post-sales, right? Do you, how do you handle when there's an emergency, talking to the hospital, uh, if it's health insurance, uh, processing the claim. So this convenience pre and post-sales. So we try to have this, we are, we are solving these three problems. So how do we get the right trust from proper information, policy review, their objective, larger selection of policy in the market, and uh, convenience. That's why we build a lot of uh, large, uh, a large portfolio of uh, policy reviews of videos and our social media follower and visitor have been growing consequently. So people that really come to us is people that have an intent because they were searching on Google or searching on social media and then they try to really understand deeper from a person that they can trust. That's why our name LifePal because we are really your friend for your life, right? You can trust. So you can make, we can help you to make the right choice. Yeah. And it starts really from this content and, uh, and reviews that we really spend a lot of time on. Especially point number three, I think it's very important. I had like a very uh, unlucky month three months ago. Uh, one, I had literally a problem with my finger. Cannot cannot move it in because I had glass in my finger. COVID time, all hospitals are uh, were full. I said like, okay, what do I'm going to do? Going to fix it or get COVID, right? I said, okay, I'm not going to do anything. Second was I had like a motorcycle accident. And then, and then you're going here to the hospitals and you need to pay everything up front, right? There's no easy card that you can use, arrange. It's, it's, it's very inconvenient. So, so that's, that's a pain from the expert point of view. What, what I have always been wondering, and, and maybe I just would like to throw that back to you, is like, why is there no insurance product integrated in your phone? 
And what I mean, we have so much data, right? And the prices are always the same. Why is not that I can say, for example, like, okay, I have a phone. Uh, Google recognizes that I'm currently traveling more than 40 kilometers per hour. I assume I'm sitting on a motorbike, so I have more risk. Or, hey, I'm doing 10,000 steps a day, which assumes that I'm actually in a better shape, right? Or uh, the, due to the locations where I am, this is a risk location, this is a de-risk location. Or the amount of time that I'm spending on social media platforms, or the amount of time that I'm spending on reading my Kindle or going to uh, information, information uh, knowledgeable blogs, right? I believe that there's so much opportunity actually to, to check the health, the mental health, but also automatically the physical health through something that we have always there. And how, how do you see the future of insurance uh, evolving over time? I mean, do you resonate what I'm saying? Yeah, so you're, you're saying to have a pricing model based on uh, your lifestyle data. Correct. You can collect. It will, be, it, will, it will get there. It will get there. And um, we do see some trends in uh, in, in US where new uh, tech startup and insurance are innovating on policy design and policy creation, the, the underwriting, and less on distribution. I think in our, in our region, we are really just at the beginning. So we need to fix the distribution, the interface with the customer. And once that will be fixed, hopefully in uh, three, four, five years, then we probably go and innovate uh, more in, in, uh, in the other part of the chain, of the value chain, and probably we will end up later innovating in underwriting in the, the, the pricing model. In US, you have this kind of, uh, maybe they call it a dynamic pricing. For example, you drive your car and you only pay insurance uh, when you drive it. If you don't drive it, you don't pay if it's a home like park. Or then you you see your driving uh, style and if the, the, the data say you're like a, a conservative and, and proper driver, uh, then the pricing goes lower. If you're more an aggressive driver, then the pricing goes up. So it's starting. I see this innovation will be more from US, uh, not not in Indonesia. Yeah. So, so that brings me back to the question of uh, of timing, right? So let's say you would have the whole technology stack of that insurance partner from the US inside of your uh, in your inside of your data warehouse, and you would launch something like this. Uh, how important is the timing, right? I mean, would this work right now already in a current industry? Or do you see like, okay, no, we first need to have the distribution there and the knowledge needs to be grow. People need to know that it's important for them. And, and how important is the timing in the launch of a startup in this sense? No, timing is definitely important to know that your customer wants what you're building, right? Or maybe it goes back. Once you talk to customer, you understand what they want and you build that, right? So it's not mm -hmm. you imposing your own product on, on the customer. When can we have this dynamic pricing in Indonesia? So we are not underwriter in LifePath. We are the distributor. So we are trying to replace the existing agent and make it better, more trustworthy. Uh, so we are not in underwriting. So you will need to you will need to talk to people who are underwriting. So who is underwriting now in Indonesia is the major brand like AXA, Prudential, etc. Uh, I don't think they have the interest and uh, uh, and that is not on their agenda yet. It's something new even for HQ. So something new even for US or hmm. China. Uh, so I don't think we'll come here, but not because the customer are not ready. I feel because the, the industry is actually not ready to get there. Yeah. Uh, the only reason why I will see coming, for example, this automotive uh, hardware to track your, 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 your driving behavior, 
um, I think it's a matter of pricing. So if you can price it low and your pricing to consumer can be cheaper, uh, then you can definitely succeed in that. <laughs> insurance in Indonesia is, is highly price driven and, yeah. and brand, brand driven as well. It's funny, man. Just imagine you're sitting in your car, right? And you start driving and there's a pop-up message on your phone and it says like, okay, are you, are you the one that is driving? Because it recognizes, the Google recognizes that you're going fast. Yeah, and, you right. say, and you say yes, right? And then suddenly you're hitting this in the middle of the night, 170 kilometers per hour, and you have this pop-up from your, from your insurance company that says like, yeah, sorry, dude, you're now not insured anymore, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the way it will be, actually. And uh, it probably is gonna, you're going to have probably a sensor tracking your uh, physical activity. Yeah. Uh, um, I know your temperature now for COVID, and then that this will get in a centralized loop. I, I believe that. It's not this problem we are solving. We are more of... Let's help the customer to buy the right policy because there are so many in the market, but there's no transparency. Let's help them to have a centralized application where they can store the life, the auto, the travel, and they can manage post-sales with convenience and full assistance. Mm. So your best friend, your concierge, your best friend to really manage your life path, to really manage your debt. Innovating on policy design, I think is exciting, uh, but it's more valuable for a mature market like the US, China, maybe Europe. And that's where they do this type of innovation is actually happening. Cool. Well, it's nice that we are moving from, from, from the questions in, in, this, in this conversation. I, I want to go one step back where I ask you like, okay, what was your playbook uh, in, the, in the first 12 months? Okay, the customer, uh, the product with the customer discovery, uh, reaching the, the product market fit. What were the things that you believe have worked very well that you saw, suddenly saw like, okay, this is, this is currently spiking, right? One of the things that, that worked very well for you that you think like, okay, I, I want to share some uh, wise words and wisdom about it. We got a couple moments where we spiked. We, got, we went like month for month, uh, 3X or 4X month for month. And then we went back to like 20% or, or even, even 10. That's when we, our learning spiked. I really see growth as a function of learning. So the question is, are you growing fast? Are you learning fast? Mm. And how do you learn fast? This is uh, well, talking to customer and testing a lot. I, I always, I'm always obsessed in our company and uh, some of my partner complain. <laughs> I always want to test a lot and quickly to really get feedback quick by, by data, by customer. Mm. Uh, so the things that really make us grow is when we start testing a lot we, and we accumulate so much learning, so much like dry powder that it was not exploding yet. But then at one moment, all got together all the dots connected. Um, so that's where I think we should be obsessed. Like if you, every week we are not learning something significantly new, uh, then we are in trouble because uh, growth, it has indication of growth uh, in a, maybe in a couple of weeks or in a couple of months. Uh, so I say nothing really special, but it's about talking to customer, testing a lot and frequently and really collect those data. I always like to make this example, like a corporate test, maybe once a year, twice a year, you know, they need to do board meeting, PPT, lots of approvals, uh, yearly review, and then maybe they test things twice in a year. What if a startup can test things twice in a week? Mm. You're like 100x older. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You, measure your, you should measure your age by how many tests you run per, per year, not how, many, how old is the company. Yeah. And then also how agile is your development team to quickly... Uh, uh, the question uh, is like, oh, you've been two years in this now, I've been uh, 200 tests. Yeah. Yeah. That's the right question because you understand really how, and that's where the learnings come. 
I don't think there is a framework you can like cascade top down uh, besides talking to customer, looking at the data, shipping code, and testing, having a lot of tests to really yeah. improve the problem. And uh, I, then it will come because you get, you basically walking on the dark and you hit and you destroy things and then you get closer to the door, but from the dark. And you need to just go quickly and test and test until you find the door and you can, you can move to the next, le next level. Yeah, that's a little bit the, 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 the annoying part if you are very big and become arrogant, right? Uh, and you think, oh, we're, we're the biggest right now and we don't need to do anything and people become, start becoming lazy, right? Yeah. Uh, the money is flowing and uh, before you know, I mean, we have seen that disruptions as well uh, with, uh, with, with Warner Bros and Netflix and there's many, many different kind of examples there. So I agree with you, it's like testing constantly and learning more and more and more is, uh, is, is, is definitely the key. Um, bring, bringing that back, like, I mean, I just want to ask you, are you an, a spiritual person in that sense that you reflect a lot on yourself, on life and how you run your business? I have this inclination, but lately I have neglected that part. <laughs> it's not good for your person and for your business. Uh, now we are a bit more stable. We are hiring more, more great people and uh, I will have a bit more time. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what I think I, uh, any leader should always do, right? At personal level, but also business level. Like really be able to get the clarity out of what, where you stand, what you guys are doing. And I think that's really important. Um, I do sometimes, lately not, and it's not good. Uh, so, so, but how, how do you still give time to your spiritual side as a leader? The reality is that I mean, we spiritually as a leader, you mean the vision of the company, I guess. More no, I mean, no, it's also on a, on a personal level, right? I think being a leader of a company, you know, requires you to really regularly do check-ins with yourself and find the peace, right? I mean, sometimes it's also, at least it's my point of view, the more you work, the, the more you don't see. The less you work and spend time on designing your business and really taking the position of a, of a third person that looks down allows you to really see i mean so true where do you get your best ideas in the office or outside <laughs> yeah you know it's a good question i was actually like i think i wrote it here like yeah i was actually thinking about this few days ago i phrase it a bit different like how do i reinvigorate my mind right because the real stress and tiredness doesn't come from your body. That's the body you, we can push it as human, but how you keep your mind in shape, right? Healthy and rejuvenated, uh, invigorated. So for me, I was listing down uh, actually a few days ago was, I realized that reading daily is uh, really important for me and uh, any type of reading, but it set your, your, your energy level, it set of your brain and your body. I think that that's fantastic. Something we all know, but we don't do as regularly. Um, doing sport, definitely. Um, I realized that yoga is something amazing that yeah. uh, we all kind of reject, or at least I rejected in the younger age. Uh, You're doing days. it right now? Uh, I'm looking to uh, start. I did it for uh, six months and I want to start again. Yeah. Um, What's so holding you? Sorry? What's holding you? Uh, not nothing. I need to do it. <laughs> Yeah. One of our engineers said to add the meditation. He does yeah. it. He uh, a great guy, and I want to maybe try that as well. Uh, I realized for me specifically walking also. I love them walking. You know, yeah. Yeah. you go around walking can be having phone calls by your walking or having meetings while walking or walk by yourself. 
Yeah. Keeps your body moving in a soft way, in a delicate way, but keeps your brain also uh, moving as well. Yeah. Um, so that's the four so things. We, so, so we have walking, we have reading, we have doing yoga. What was the fourth thing? The sport, yoga, sport. If you're yeah. interested. Yeah. That is so, for me. Other people have others, but um, no. I think I think I mean I personally resonate with that as well. Uh, so do you keep do you keep some kind of uh, morning rituals? I mean I know that you're running with Ilya uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> around the blocks, right? So do, so do you do you keep some morning rituals for yourself to keep yeah, yourself? Yeah, I do. Uh, in addition to the good coffee, yeah, there is reading and sports. Um, and uh, probably need to put one in the morning, one at night. Uh, reading at night, I think, is really great. So I see some books. I see some books on your shelf. I mean, are those your yeah, book, yeah. yours, yours book, or from your for your wife? No, no, no that's mine. Um, what are you reading? So I like to read biographies. The one I suggest to everyone is uh, Deng Xiaoping, the great leader of China after Mao. Yeah, I think that's a great for entrepreneurs. Um, I like it because it shows how to change the vision. Of a, country, well, a country in that case without being revolutionary but being evolutionary so Mao had a vision he had more other to openness around the economy and and, and, uh, and he changed it without uh, being a disruptor without breaking with the past just continue a stable flow evolution and startup sometimes is this right you want to ev- make the evolution of the company and, and second I like his pragmatism he's a person that mm-hmm. said a famous sentence like doesn't matter if the cat is black or white it's important that he catch the, the mouse <laughs> so it doesn't matter if you are in this case was like it's a capitalism or communism, it doesn't matter. It matter we just make our country more prosperous and we help our people. Yeah. And that's counter sometimes is to be like this. Like it doesn't matter it's I like it or you like it, matter what customer like, what is good for the business. Mm-hmm. That's what we should focus. Uh, so yeah, Deng Shopping is a great book on biography. Uh, I'm reading also about uh, history, like history biography I like a lot. And then of course startup books. Yeah, uh, it's great essay also about startups. They are fantastic. Well, I think I think it's nicer to read startup books in the morning or business books in the morning and keep the the novels or the or the or the you know the biographies yeah, yeah. for in the night because otherwise you, you mean, you're, you're you're completely yeah you're completely fucking yourself up yeah you're not gonna sleep yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't see the hard things of the hard things currently in your. Um, no, here I don't have it. Um, but everybody reads it, right? So for everybody yeah. who is currently listening to the show, I mean, there's a red thread is that everybody that I'm talking to has read the book, including myself. And it's just an amazing reference point to come back to, right? That if you are in a certain shit that you can at least resonate that you're not alone uh, in, that, in that sense. Yeah. So, so I, would also, Sven, I would add also the YC essay, Paul Graham, Sam Altman, and all the other partners in YC. Uh, they are extremely healthy and uh, they're also short, so they're really well written and uh, are really focusing on building good business, good mm. for customers, good for employees, consequently for investors also, but really focus on product market fit. Doesn't feel, doesn't like, reject this external pressure of being the first one, of uh, being bigger than your competitor, but really just focus in, in yourself on what is right, mm. not what is popular. Yeah. So do you keep, do you keep a larger vision for yourself yeah i'm getting really passionate about uh about uh, entrepreneurship uh, in the tech space i admire every single founder also the one that maybe didn't make it as as, as they expected as big mm. uh, so i would like to keep uh, being part of this community like like you are doing also that's that's fantastic and 
now I'm a founder with my my also partner. But how what's gonna be next is gonna keep helping the ecosystem. Yeah, actually as a founder or maybe in other roles later on. Also, because if you wanna if you wanna be a founder, you need a lot of energy, as you know. Yeah. And uh, so that's creative like, age as well. So don't you think that people are sometimes just overcomplicating the process? I mean, there's always this, I mean, being running a startup is even so hip and happening that um, that Korea just launched a new uh, uh, drama, it's called Startup. And, um, and, and it's just most watched yesterday, trending on Twitter. And, and I was watching it with my girlfriend. It's really funny to see how they are positioning it. But you know, some, I, I just tend to believe that we are all making it more complicated than it is. I mean, like you just say, okay, product market fit, yes, very important. Customer discovery, yes, very important, right? But don't we just want to make something that just brings value to the world? And in order to bring something that brings value to the world, yeah, we of course need to listen, just like in a normal relationship. I mean. You're, you're a husband, if you don't listen to your wife, you will get a divorce, right? Yes. Um, so I think, I think sometimes due to the, the business blocks out there, the, the YouTube things, you know, the whole, the whole charisma around it, it all gets almost frightening for some people to jump into that. But eventually it all comes down to, with, in my opinion at least, like common sense running a business and that's also why I ask you like okay what is your what is your larger vision right because if you're deciding on your larger vision which is not only three years with your company but if I would ask you like okay what would happen in 10 years from now because because you will start making different kind of decisions right that's right no I agree launching startup is much easier now than it was uh, 20 years ago oh yeah, yeah sometimes we don't realize we have all these tools uh, uh, we have a lots of uh, shared rise and uh, communication it didn't exist anything uh, the only thing that is blocking us, uh, the ecosystem, is that the society is not educated about building startup and about failure. So mm. how do you uh, get educated to that? That building startup is normal. It might be painful, but lots of people do it, and they are perfectly healthy and fine. And uh, failing is part of success, and uh, you need to embrace it. Uh, I think that's something that... Uh, Founders, but especially investors, should really try to change the community. Silicon Valley has this a lot, so it's really normal to launch. Something that will help is that more unicorn or more larger startup will come. People have experienced part of that journey and can live and, uh, and build other, and so it will get better over time. But yes, it's really easy to launch. There is not really downside. Uh, it's maybe a bit of money, but if you're smart, you can manage it uh, yeah. in a certain way. Uh, you know, there's always people, as you, as you always, uh, you teach us, there's always angel or some people that believe in you, they can give you a check of $25,000, $50,000, and that's enough to start. Yeah. To start a business. Now, for my vision is now is really life path. So it's how do we make a really protection, financial protection accessible to everyone. And that's we will continue until everyone has uh, the protection that they need. And then, uh, of course, maybe later on is uh, I really care about entrepreneurs because it's a tough journey. But oh, it's yeah. exciting. So how do we you know, help each other uh, to feel it that it's normal and is and is worth it? Worth yeah. it. Well, that's 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 my why, right? I mean, it's it's very important because the answers are already out there. It's just having the right uh, network around it. And one of the things that I always like to say is like, okay, a company will succeed because of two reasons, actually three. One, you're making something that is wanted, and two, you have access to a network of answers. And three is you have a network of cash. 
right? Uh, when you have these three major pillars, there should not be anything that could uh, could hold you. So is it is it true that LifePol, because I was looking for some funding information, right? I mean, you, you haven't yet been funded or you have just not disclosed it? We haven't disclosed it. Yeah. It was a um, permitted choice to really stay low profile, heads down, close yeah. to customer. Don't get uh, fancy with uh, investor names and who's raising more. And that, that's it. Keep the team humble and really focus on what matter. Uh, that's why we did not disclose it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, likely we raise pretty decent amount from investors that uh, they are relevant in our region. And uh, we are really happy to have them. Um, but we haven't disclosed. So, so we have seed money, actually. Seed we, money, yeah. yeah. We Revenue are growing a lot, so we are not burning that much. Uh, so we that that's great. Uh, at one point we will raise a Series A, but we still have revenue coming in. So we are fundraising from customer, not yeah. from customer. <laughs> well, that's the best thing to do, I guess. Yeah. And especially if you're in the, in in an insurance business, there's a, there's nice premiums to get, right? Yeah, and uh, good margin. And uh, yeah. you know, after Lazard, I said I definitely not want to do something that has high margin and no delivery. Yeah, yeah. is exactly that. High margin is a digital product, so you don't really have to ship anything or deliver anything. Yeah, yeah. So, so before we are closing down the scene, I just want to share one thing that really uh, touched me and uh, really made an impact. I mean, something that we already know, but while I hear you talking, I think it's also very relevant for what you do. I was watching on Netflix the documentary of uh, David Attenborough. The new documentary. I'm not sure if you live on Earth. Have you already uh, watched? I I will do. You should 100%. So, I mean, in the first five or ten minutes, uh, the guy's 93 years old, and if you see him talking with so much emotion, again, his purpose, like we discussed in the podcast today, is why he has really dedicated himself to the world, and you know, because he's 93 years old. He knows he will most probably not be 10 years around. And if you don't have anything to do, by the way, after this podcast, go watch it because it's amazing. Um, and then the, and, and, and it starts in two ways. The first is his witness testimonial, how he saw how the world, while he is alive, has been changing. And then he makes his, okay, what is the future actually going to do? And the fact is, this guy is not going to be there in the future. And he paints a very clear picture that if we're not doing anything uh, and, and, and with proofs and you get goosebumps if you're watching it, I mean, our kids will live in a disastrous world, right? And I was so touched and moved with that that I started writing already because of our network. What can we as entrepreneurs at least do because we have the people that work with us in our teams, but also uh, we have people, you know, uh, through our clients, and especially for you, you're designing a product, which is a life insurance product. So your customer lifetime value is significantly important for you, I guess. Right. So I'm just, just curious how, and it's difficult to have this conversation if you haven't really seen the movie yet, but what do you think we entrepreneurs should do to make the earth where we are living in a better place? Big question. Yeah. I think like we have we are we are in a lucky situation because we have the willingness to build as, as a category entrepreneurs. 
and we do have access to capital. There's a lot of money there, and uh, and the access is quite easy. Like you, you need to do the right things and be structured, but th there is a lot of money available, much more than in the 70s, in the 80s, and 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 before that. So it's a really great time in 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 the, in the you see the category entrepreneurs as a journey. We are probably is the easiest time, is the best time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we need to empower that, and uh, it can be from entrepreneurial side, from the uh, investor side. But we need to really empower these talent and these visions, and uh, and it's hard to predict really to have a structure framework, uh, kind of build a business plan for this vision. It's more like um, let a hundred flower blossom and then something good will come, right? And uh, mm -hmm. and that's uh, that's what we should do. Like really empower, like you're doing, you're really educating founders to take the risk to find the money and and they really mm -hmm. enable themselves, right? And that's I think what we should do. Um, I don't have a more concrete answer because if you mm -hmm. want my mind is really on life path. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, no, no. That's what I would say. We, we that from this industry, we should really enable and unlock no, this potential. There. No, I think, you know, and this, this is, I think just as an, a being an entrepreneur gives you the freedom to build whatever you want, to, to design and structure your culture, your business, and the way you communicate with your clients uh, in the best way you believe is right. You're bringing salary to your teams, and they, those teams and those fathers and mothers of kids, again, have the ability to teach their children in a certain way what's the right way to go to, right? So what I really would like to start as well is like, okay, it's like more like a movement, yeah, where we, you, you know, as an entrepreneur has an impact on this world, yes, through your life insurance product, but also by almost embracing that if we don't change something, uh, yeah, in 100 years, the world looks differently. And that also comes sometimes close to, to what I feel I think is wrong, but I think it's through a pressure of a lot of uh, investors. I mean, the guy that can really make all of the difference, and that's typically also my last question for you uh, in this podcast, the guy that can literally make all of the difference in this world in a heartbeat, but he's not doing it is Mr. Mark Zuckerberg, because he could say, you know what? The whole week, I will not put any advertising online on Facebook and on Instagram. And the whole week is all about global awareness, about telling what we should do as people to make the world a better place to live in. And I'm not necessarily talking about all the racism and stuff, which is very sensitive. Now I'm talking about our environment, so we don't kill our environment, right? So my, la my last question for you is, if you would have the opportunity to borrow the stick of Mark Zuckerberg for one day, and you could literally globally for mm -hmm. one day publish a message, what would be your message to the world? Big question. Big question. Um, what you would know, be my message? Um, what would you like? What is your bigger message? You know, what what would you have? Yeah. You have the enter button there, right? Um, and yeah. there's one thing. It's pretty easy, actually. It's what I do every day uh, when I go to the office. And uh, my goal as a leader is to help others to maximize their potential. And I think that will be the message. Like, don't waste time. I mean, get your holiday. Get your uh, maybe superficial relaxing. That is fantastic, also. But try to really focus on uh, unlock, maximizing your potential as an individual. 
this can give you the, one of the biggest source of, of joy that you can have and uh, can reflect on positive things. Um, if I'm really attracted by the potential of humanity, like if you see those uh, from Leonardo, maybe from Elon Musk today, Bill Gates, but you have these really normal humans, like regular humans, they actually have moved and improved their humanity. So how come there's such a big difference when we are born, we are almost the same, right? Mm. Uh, this is really about if everyone can maximize the potential and we bring everyone at the optimal status, then we can have uh, much better things coming out from our society. So I get your point. I don't know what it will be. It could be environment. It could be education for women. I, we don't know that, but we need to let the, the talent uh, blossom in that way. Uh, you cannot control that. You cannot dictate specific rules. Uh, that's the good thing will happen uh, automatically, but you need to empower people to do great. And as a leader, that's what I do in life every day. Right? I, I have a guy that I, I believe in when we hire them, and how do I let them grow? Right? Mm. So that would, that would mean if I would quote that on the last mm. shot of the podcast, right? So I see you're ready behind the enter button, ready to distribute the message to 8.1 billion people. Uh, and it actually say, Gikamo Fijari, use your time wisely, maximize your potential. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Cool. That's Thank you very much for uh, for joining me today. Uh, I think there's a lot of golden nuggets from uh, from 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 the things that we have been discussed, uh, from interesting books. Uh, we have discussed the, the product marketing fit very well, the visions, uh, very insightful. Is there anything that you want to share what you think that I have been missing? What I care a lot and I see lots of friends making mistakes is the product market fit. And I don't think Southeast Asia, we are educated enough, exposed enough to what does it mean. And I think if you are a leader that's trying to educate a founder in the younger stage of the startup, uh, that should be a really relevant topic. Um, but I see you touch it, so I, I'm glad you, you did. Um, I see that lots of our friends that maybe came to BC round, you know, we always complain there is no money in Southeast Asia for Series B. But I always ask how many startups got product market fit? They actually scaling a product. And there is no money as well. Right? So uh, I think let's be obsessed with product market fit and then uh, that, that can help a lot of found, new founders. I mean, then you bring also value to the world, right? Otherwise, you're just emptying someone else's piggy bank. That's, uh, that's the, the story. Gigamo, very awesome. thank you very much for uh, for joining me today. Uh, super pleasure this. to have you. Yeah, definitely. And I will talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you guys for tuning in today at the Founder Stripe podcast. I truly hope you have found some inspiration and the golden nuggets so you can leverage this to lift your founders game. By the way, if you want to stay updated about our weekly releases, then please hit the subscribe button so you will never ever need to miss out and choose which one of the guests you can tune into. If you're planning to raise capital for your startup and would love to discover if you are fundraise ready, if your startup has what it takes, then please take our free signature fundraise quiz where we will benchmark your answers against our nine-step date your investor framework. As a result, you will receive a 20-page tailor-made recommendation report to be better tomorrow. Want to find out more? Go to www.thestartupchef.com. www.thestartupchef.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you in the next episode.